If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Kings chapter 12. It is good, good to see everybody here. Um, I noticed a couple times in the first part of the service that we talked about everything that we sort of bring into this room, and uh, I think it's important to name that on occasion. This, for some, we bring joy, right? I saw a couple walk into church and a husband who had been overseas serving for at least seven months away, is that right? Back with his wife and little kid, that's joy, right? That's good stuff. Um, some of you bring stuff that's not joy, and uh, we want to all bring it into this place. And uh, I think all of us hope that Christ will meet us here, that we'll meet Jesus, we'll meet the living God, and something will happen. Um, late this week, I had the joy of having the stomach flu, so uh, I don't bring that into this room, but I'm still a little weak, so if I fall over and faint during the middle of the message, Tim Schwartz will be coming up to uh, finish the message off for us. Let's pray before we jump in the Word. God, it is good to be together. It's good to be with this local church, this local community of faith. As we look into your Word, as we sing songs, as we say common prayers together, submitting to your Lordship, experiencing grace, knowing forgiveness, God, I pray that you, you would meet us here in the way that you do, God, that you would actually be that God that, that sees each individual and sees them as individuals, God, but sees us as a body. Meet us there. Pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, amen. Quickly, we are in a year-long series beginning to end of the Bible. We're using this tool called the Wayfinding Bible. I really encourage you to get it. I'm not going to do a ton of background on the text this morning, but um, I was looking through Kings. If you go back one page from chapter 12, there is a really good overview of where we are in the story of Israel and uh, who the kings have been, all that's going on. There's a lot of different tools like that that are just fabulous. So encourage you to get it, bring it to church. It'll really help you understand the story of God because the goal is not just that you know more by the end of the year. The goal is that you understand God's story, what God is up to, how you fit into that story, and what God is perhaps calling you to do. First Kings 12, starting in verse 1. We're just going to do half the, the chapter based on time this morning, um, but it's another fun story that we're going to jump into. Verse 1 says this, Rehoboam went to Shechem where all Israel had gathered to make him king. When Jeroboam, Jeroboam, son of Nebat, heard of this, he returned to Egypt, for he had fled to Egypt to escape, escape from King Solomon. The leaders of Israel summoned him, and Jeroboam and the whole assembly of Israel went to speak with Rehoboam. Your father was a hard master, they said, light and harsh labor demands and heavy taxes that your father imposed on us. Then we will be your loyal subjects." Rehoboam replied, give me three days to think this over, then come back to me for my answer so the people went away. Let's just stop for one second and, and get our minds around what this story is. Solomon has died. He's generally remembered as a great king, but if you think about the end of his reign, he left the kingdom in a place that it's going to be really hard for it to recover in a healthy way. So Rehoboam, as we see that name, Rehoboam is Solomon's son. And uh, Commentator Dennis Bratcher says this, he says, Because God had blessed Solomon and the people of God, Rehoboam had never known scarcity, strive for war. He grew to be king without ever knowing the crucible of personal struggle and triumph that forged character, maturity, and spiritual growth. And so we're going to see this Rehoboam guy is not a good king. And I think part of it is he was just handed everything on a silver platter. The other name that we're going to see is a guy named Jeroboam. 
Jeroboam had seen, overseen the building projects in the northern part of the kingdom. It, Israel, Judah. He had overseen the building projects in the nor- northern part of the kingdom. The northern part of the kingdom is fiercely independent. They want things how they want it. Solomon, had, so- Solomon that's what we're going to start to combine names. Solomon had forced Jeroboam out. That's why he had fled away. Now he comes back thinking that maybe things are going to be okay. And the request here is, Solomon had made things really hard. Can you please ease taxes and not put us through such harsh labor? It's not a really hard request that they're giving to him. And the language of it shows this divided kingdom, that there's relational tension between the northern and southern kingdom. And the real tension that we're going to see here, this is not a chapter about leadership. This is a chapter actually about community. That this is a crisis of community. That both people and leaders are unwilling to set aside selfish agendas, what they want, how they want it. And we're going to see the end result of where that leads to. Verse 6 says this. Then King Rehoboam discussed the matter with the older men who had counseled his father. Sounds good, right? He's going to go and get wisdom. What's your advice, he asked. How should I answer these people? The older counselors replied, if you're willing to be a servant to these people today and give them a favorable answer, then they will always be your loyal subjects. But Rehoboam rejected the advice of the older men and instead asked the opinion of the young men who had grown up with him and were now advisors. What is your advice, he asked them? How should I answer these people who want me to lighten the burdens imposed by my father? The young men replied, This is what you should tell those complainers who want lighter burdens. My little finger is thicker than my father's waist. Probably the first time you've ever heard that, right? Yes, my father laid heavy burdens on you, but I'm going to make them even heavier. My father beat you with whips, but I will beat you with scorpions. Really good advice. Gets good advice from the old guys gets really bad advice from the young guys. And there's something in that. I mean, think about that as it plays into the context of community. Where we go for advice. Do we put ourselves in places of community where we can actually hear good wisdom? And who are we becoming in the context of that? Verse 12 says this. Three days later, Jeroboam and all the people returned to hear Rehoboam's decision, just as the king had ordered. But Rehoboam spoke harshly to the people, for he rejected the advice of the older counselors and followed the counsel of his young advisors. He told the people, my father laid heavy burdens on you, but I'm going to make them even heavier. My father beat you with whips, but I will beat you with scorpions. It's intriguing. Rehoboam asks for advice. But it's nothing like we saw last week in chapter 3 when God comes to Solomon and says, I can give you anything. And Solomon, remember, Solomon didn't ask for wisdom. He asked for understanding. That he could actually hear and understand people, take it in and be able to make a wise decision. That is nothing like what is going on here with Rehoboam. He's more into this position. He's more into authority. He's more into power than actually being the king he should be. By the way, every king in the Old Testament is going to point us to, towards who King Jesus is. And some of it is often in the brokenness of the kings that we see in the stories of the Old Testament. One commentator put it this way, and I absolutely love this. Rehoboam was more interested in the institution than in why the institution existed. Isn't that good? We could have about a two-hour conversation on the church, right? He's more interested in sustaining the institution than the actual mission of why the institution existed. That's an easy place to go, and we're going to come back to to some of this at the end. 
Sidebar, by the way, if you want to do an interesting study of how you hand down faith to the generations behind you, read some of these Old Testament books. Read Kings. Read how from generation to generation there is often this brokenness. And what is it that heals? What is it that brings redemption? Verse 15. So the king paid no attention to these people. This turn of events was the will of the Lord, for it fulfilled the Lord's message to Jeroboam, son of Nebat, through the prophet Ahijah from Shiloh. When all Israel realized the king had refused to listen to him, they responded down with the dynasty of David. We have no interest in the son of Jesse. Back to our homes, O Israel. Look out for your own house, O David. So the people of Israel returned home, but Rehoboam continued to rule over the Israelites who lived in the towns of Judah. Things are divided. It says there, it's an interesting little statement, the will of the Lord that somehow this fulfilled a prediction that had been spoken by the prophet. That takes nothing away from the human responsibility in this passage. In fact, the writer of Kings condemns these events as not in harmony with the will of God. But the hope is this, as bad as these events are, that God has not abandoned his people. It's intriguing, that little line at the beginning of verse um, 16 that says this, down with the dynasty of David. In other words, the the king paid no attention. The NIV says, what share do we have with David? And even those from the the people coming from the northern kingdom are coming with their their own selfish interests. That they're going to withdraw because they're not getting their own way. So on the one side, we have a king who refuses to listen and to understand and to do what is right to the needs of the people. And then on the other side, we have a group of people who resented restriction, who want no control. They value independence more than they do the larger community and the will of God. And the point is this. The point of this text, I believe it's it's so, so purposely there. It's this. Discord and division are always the result when people living in community fail to understand and care about each other. Discord and division are always the result when people living in community fail to understand and care about each other. And here's the truth. Here's the truth that we have to sit with this morning. That what we see in this story and what we see in these people then and there can be just as true of us. It be just as true of us, just as broken are our hearts as what we see here. Our hearts are prone to pride and selfishness. Our hearts are prone to withdrawal. We see it in families. We see it in cities. We see it in racial tension. We see it in the church. That our hearts are prone to this type of thing. That there's often churches, and we're going to talk mainly about the church this morning because in the Old Testament this is about Israel, the people of God, not being who they were called to be, not being a blessing to the nations, the promise, that the challenge that they'd been given by God. But often we see churches functioning the same way, that there are churches that are not on mission because strife and division rule the day, right? If we're really honest. We see it in local churches and we see it in the universal church. I think one of the ways in which we sadly see this is I've spoken to too many in the next generation who've walked away from the church because all they saw in the church growing up, growing up was div- division and strife. 
instead of being on the mission that God was called us on, that God has called us to be on. It's almost like the story of the person who drowned while the lifeguards argued about the best way to save him. Right? We forget the mission because we're so concerned about things that often don't matter. Strife, discord, disagreement, it's part of the story. How we deal with it tells us about the mission that we are on. So why does this matter? Why does it matter for us today? There's a fabulous passage I would encourage you to memorize. John 17, 20-21. And this is one of those passages right before Jesus is going to go to the cross. These are the last words of Jesus that he's giving to his disciples. They're very important. Underline them, circle them, memorize them. And here's what he says as part of this prayer. I'm praying not only for these disciples, but for all who will ever believe in me through their message. By the way, you were prayed for in the Gospels by Jesus. That prayer is about you. Not just the disciples then and there, but anyone who will believe in Jesus Christ. And it goes on to say, I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. These are such important verses. How do we move from division and strife to being one so that the mission of God can be true? And that's what this text says. That's what Jesus says. When they're together, when they're one, when they're unified, people actually hear about God through their oneness. And oneness does not mean sameness. We're not all trying to copycat one another. But it means that we are one on mission, we are one in the same love, that we are centered around the gospel of Jesus Christ together. Healthy community always points people towards the love of God. It's one of those things that that we've been talking about a lot the last 18 to 24 months and we'll keep talking about for years to come. At Crossview Covenant Church, our goal will never be to grow larger. Our goal will be healthy. Because if we're healthy, if we're healthy around the common mission, that creates healthy growth. So what does it look like to be healthy? How do we enter into that? Because we are people that are so drawn to the other. We're drawn to our own happiness, our own selfish desires, the things we want. We want it our way. How do we come on mission together that's centered in Jesus Christ? Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, He said, if my sinfulness appears to me to be in any way smaller or less detestable in comparison with the sins of the other, I am still not recognizing my own sinfulness at all. How can I possibly serve another person in unfeigned humility if I seriously regard his sinfulness as worse than my own? Part of it is we come into community naming the fact that we're all messed up, that we are in need of grace. I think the Apostle Paul in his writings deals with this so well. In the writings of Paul, one of the things that he often does, he talks about this whole idea of putting off and putting on. The part of the story of becoming more like Christ is that we put off things that keep us from becoming who God wants us to be. And then we put on things that help us become who God created us to be. And I think he does that no better than in the book of Ephesians. In Ephesians, the first three chapters of Ephesians are all about what the gospel is. 
That God in Jesus Christ came and died and rose again so that we can have a relationship with the living God. You've heard Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 time and time again. It says this, God saved you by grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. We are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. That's the good news. That a living God came and died for your sins and rose again so that you can be who God created you to be. That's the first three chapters of Ephesians. And it's intriguing. If you read a little further on in chapter 2, that very grace that saves you and makes you right with God also reconciles you with humanity, with the people around you. That the dividing wall between you and those around you has been broken. And so that our community together should reflect the relationship that we have with God. So jump down to chapter 4 of Ephesians. I'm going to read a bit of a passage here. It says in verse 20, But that isn't what you learned from Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, and here it is, throw off. Saved by grace, 100%. You've heard me talk about that passage in Philippians 2 where it says, work out your own salvation. Work hard. Do It's it's a wrestling term of sweat and toil to make it happen. For it's God that is at work in you. God gives you the grace, the fuel to be able to do the things to become more and more like him. So throw off the old sinful nature, your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature. Put on. So throw off, put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Let me stop for just a sec. At the end of the message, we're going to have a little time of just personal reflection so we can confess the places that we need to, th- to throw off. And I encourage you to be thinking about those as I read down through this passage. What are the places in which you act, the ways in which you talk, that actually fracture community around you, your church, your family, your relationship with your kids, your friends? What do you need to put off that fractures the sense of community around you? And then we'll talk about what we need to put on. And here's what Paul says about putting on. These are so practical. Underline, write them down, stop telling lies. Pretty practical, right? So, If you're gossiping about somebody, what are you doing? You're probably lying. So just stop. These are the places where I I wish the Apostle Paul was our counselor, right? You come in, you meet, and he's just like, just stop. Stop doing that. It's not any good to you and the people around you. Let us tell our neighbors the truth. For all part of the same body, and don't sin by letting your anger control. And by the way, anger itself is not bad, it's if it controls us. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for anger gives uh, a foothold to the devil. Verse 28 If you're a thief, do we have any thieves in here? Do you need to raise your hands? If you're a thief, quit stealing. And, and we could dig deep. I mean, we could say, if you don't use your time at work the way you should, are you a thief? Thief isn't just someone who goes and robs the local quick trip. If you're a thief, quit stealing. Now he gives you the put on. Instead, use your hands for good hard work and then give generously to others in need. 
Verse 29, don't use foul or abusive language. And then here's the put on. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. I think for a lot of us in this room, we need verse 29 just tattooed on our forearm, right? Don't use abusive language. Instead, what God wants us to do, everything that comes out of my mouth should actually build somebody else up and not tear them down. Wouldn't that be fun? Wouldn't that? Think about your relationship with your spouse. Your, I mean, the, the amount of times where I tend to use abusive language, maybe passive-aggressive ways, instead of using words that build up the people around me. This is gospel living right here. Verse 30. And do not bring sorrow to the Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. And then verse 31. Get rid of bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, slander, as well of all types of evil behavior. 32, instead, be kind to each other. Tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. Friends, we're prone to exactly what happened in 1 Kings 12. Maybe we're not going to beat each other with scorpions, right? But our words often do. So the question is, what do we need to put off So that we can put on a new gospel way of creating that builds up every area of community around us. If you live for one month, 100% by Ephesians 4, your marriage would be amazing. Your relationship with your kids. Kids. I know we don't have middle school this morning. We have a sixth teacher the way you talk to your parents would change the way you see your parents. And our church, let me just say, Crossview is doing really well at this. But there's always places to improve. Our church would be more about the mission of God if we practice this together. Amen? Father, in this next minute or two, God, as we come to you, And we think about what we need to confess, to throw off, God. I pray that you, through your spirit, God, that you would bring those things to mind. That you would allow us, Lord, to be keenly aware of places of brokenness and sin that lead to division. And so, Father, we take a minute just in silence to do that, to confess to you the places of sin and division that we need to throw off. Mm